Welcome to Two Arabs and a Podcast. A show with no limits. Dating, business, martial arts, self-defense, and the life of two Arabs in America. Arabs in America. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your hosts. The owner of Warrior Academy, the son of an immigrant, international traveler, black rank in Krav Maga, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and Brazil's national champion. And of course, 2018 Self-Defense Instructor of the Year, a bodyguard and military combative instructors, none other than Franz Azar. Joined by his co-host, Omar Aswan, the owner of Warrior Tactical Training, published author, doctor of criminology, world traveler, fluent in four languages, a military combat contractor, and a first-generation immigrant. The show begins now. Welcome to another episode of Two Arabs in a Podcast. I am your host, Omar, and I'm joined by my co-host, Firas. And today we continue our interview with the great Nick Hughes. We have a lot of great questions coming up in today's episode and a lot of good information from the master himself. So definitely do not want to miss out on this episode. Uh, please do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. And let's get to the questions. Follow-up question. You said five criteria for picking up uh, a place to train or yeah. finding well, for picking a self-defense instructor. A self-defense instructor. So my f- biggest question that we got on Instagram, and I'm curious about it too, how do you look up your instructor, whether self-defense, martial art, or even gun instructor, how do you know they have a legitimate background? Is military or police service qualifies them automatically to teach that, or do they need beyond no, you got to look at two things. You've also you got to look a at their background, and and it's again, this is going to have to be research and due diligence, asking questions of students who've already trained there, looking at all of that stuff, right? Because the background can be bullshit. I mean, we all know instructors who've gone out there and made made claims. They're everywhere, and and, and they're not in just in our industry, right? All the way, we've got people that have you know, they arrested a Mexican down near me the other day that was treating people, claiming he was a doctor. All right, there was a black kid two years ago that was walking around the hospital acting as a gynecologist. Okay, and he'd, he'd seen like 200 patients and they finally busted him. He had no medical degree, right? So there's people do that in every industry. So it is hard, but it can be done. You've got to ask a lot of questions. You've got to go and look at the students who are already training there and ask them. You need to do a trial period with the guy and see if you agree. But the other part of it is not just his background. Can he teach? I know a lot of guys who are very, very, very talented martial artists, but they can't teach, right? And there are other guys who aren't great martial artists who are brilliant teachers. And one of the things I'm fond of talking about is like, you look at Muhammad Ali's coach, right? The guy was in his 80s. Muhammad Ali could whoop his ass in the ring, but Muhammad Ali is paying that guy a fortune to teach him how to win fights. Right? Yeah, yeah, all of these guys. Yeah, Bus, Bus, what was his name? Gus uh, Decado or something? Yeah, I forget. Gus, Gus something. I can't remember his last name. But yeah, same thing. Tyson, he get in the ring. Who's winning, right? But he's paying that guy a metric ton of money, right, to teach him how to win fights. So can the guy teach? Can he impart his knowledge? And a lot of people are no good at it. That's that's the bottom line. I mean, in our current uh, martial arts sport, we have now MMA. Look at the coaches. Yeah. None of them, a lot of them, one of the best coaches, um, uh, name, sorry, my concussions, but you look at all these fighters like Jay uh, St. Pierre and all that, look at their coach. Yeah. I mean, I forgot his name, uh, I forgot his name, but yeah. anyway, same coach for John Jones and all those guys. Yeah. He's not a fighter. No. 
But look at the fighters. So yeah. he just breeds out. Exactly. No, but remember the event we went to, and there was what about 50 martial artists? They were sweating, giving speeches, and none of them gave a speech. Like majority of the room got up, said thank you, and left. Yeah. And they were instructors who have been recognized, and they they have fear of public speaking. They yeah. couldn't speak to. A room I wanted more people. time, and <laughs> yeah, there were people like walking in there and saying thank yeah. you, and they're sweating and like running back yeah. to their seat. Absolutely. Yeah. And they didn't want to talk in a room in front of 30 people. How are they going to teach a class? Yeah. And then, well, this is another thing. If the instructor's fat, run like hell. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I have a problem. I started with Bill, was with Bill Wallace at the Karate College years ago, before 9-11. So I was still teching karate. And I got invited up to uh, this thing called Karate College, which is cool. It's Radford By University. Way, sorry, Greg Jackson. I just remember okay. now. So Bill Wallace is up there and he and I were talking about how he goes out to these tournaments and he's watching and you have these guys calling themselves, you know, masters, which I hate that term. I'm not a master of any damn thing. And then you have grandmasters. Then there's the, the grand supreme master and the grand universal galactic supreme master. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And Bill and I made the comment, the grander the master, usually it uh, correlates with the size of their belly. <laughs> All right. I'm not saying they're overweight. They're about four feet too short for how much they weigh. And they've got grandmaster written across the back. But these same same guys, right, have got – and they don't see the irony of it. They hand you a pamphlet when you walk in saying, we teach discipline, right, and they're overweight. They don't even have the discipline to push the pizza and the ice cream away, and they're claiming we teach discipline. Why don't you demonstrate that by being in shape? Okay, and they're not. And and the students don't see that. You, you, I would be picking up the pamphlet going, oh, it says you teach discipline. You don't practice it yourself, clearly. <laughs> right? That, that's lack of integrity, um, yeah. lack of discipline. So, yeah, be very careful what they're selling you and are they living, are they walking their talk? You know, and if they're not, run like hell. I think we forgot the second part of the question about military or police service. Does yeah. that a qualified person automatically? No. No, it doesn't. Um, and, and this is a problem. A lot of military guys are coming back from overseas, opening up shooting schools and everything, claiming that, you know, by virtue of the fact that I was in the military and I was over there, I'm automatically qualified to teach. And by the same token, someone who hasn't been in doesn't necessarily mean they're not a good instructor. And I'll, I'll use this as the example I was thinking of, and it's coming up in a book I'm writing. If you look at the Falklands, right, when the English went down to fight the Argentinians, they were being trained in unarmed combat and bayonet techniques on the deck of the ship as they were going down there, right? Trained by who? The British hadn't been in a fight since damn World War II, but here they are being trained by their drill instructors on how to bayonet people, Yeah. right? And they went to Argentina and they did that. They went to the Falklands and they did that. They ran into the battle and did that. But being having been taught two weeks earlier on the deck of a ship by a guy who's never bayoneted anyone for real. Right? Where did that come from? That knowledge was passed down by some guy in World War II who did bayonet someone for real. And he was able to impart the knowledge. The lessons were learned. And the instructors are able to pass that on. Right? So it's not necessarily a prerequisite that you have to have experience. But I also think, if the, again, this is a case-by-case -case basis, very hard to generalize. But for someone like me, for example, who's actually stood on a door and punched someone... I have an edge over an instructor, all things being equal, that would give me an edge if he has not had that experience. And a case in point, I don't want to name names, right? I don't want to pick on organizations, but there is a major player in the Krav Maga world. And I picked up their book in the bookstore and I flipped to one of the pages and here's one of the instructors, a female, demonstrating a headbutt. 
Now, the way she's demonstrating it, if you tried that for real, you would knock yourself out. She's holding the back of the guy's head while she headbutts him. Anyone who's done basic physics would understand, she's right? Yeah, she's headbutting herself. It's like two cars hit. One car is not getting away unscathed. There's going to be damages to both of them, right? Now, if she let his head hang loose and she headbutted him, it's like those, remember those executive toys on the desks back in the 70s, the big ball bearings on the strings? And if you let the end one go, it hits, and the one on the other end go, let two go and two go. Right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if she headbutted him and his head wasn't anchored, right, he would fly away and that kinetic energy dump would happen. But she's holding the back of his head, which is guaranteeing that she's going to receive as much of the shock as he is. Now, what does that tell me when I see that picture? She's never headbutted anyone in her goddamn life for real. Never. And nor has her instructor, right? He's never done. He's an attorney. He's never headbutted anyone for real. So here they are, that's in their book, and they're passing that on to their students. And that, that's what gives me chills, because someone's reading that is going to go out and do that and knock themselves out. And that's where I have a big problem. So yeah, I don't think it's a requirement that you have to be military or a cop, or that someone who isn't military or a cop is not a good instructor, because I know people in both who are brilliant and vice versa. But it can definitely give you an edge if it's the right kind of experience. To that fact about that same thing, yeah. I have a client in Los Angeles, a good friend. She, you know, um, she does modeling and all that. She trained in that Krav Maga system. Yeah. So one day I was watching, and she wanted me to go join for class. I was like, if I went there, I'm going to beat the shit out of the entire place. Yeah. So just don't put me in that position. Plus, they will know who I'm trained with. They know. Yeah. So. She thought I'm just being egotistical or feisty. I went and watched and I just wanted to vomit because I was just, and it's not disrespect to them. Okay. Let's just get, put this out. I am watching 30 women in front of me mm -hmm. training. Of course, they're punching bags with gloves all night long. All right. So that was the first thing issue. And by the way, there's nothing wrong. I did Muay Thai. I punch with pads, bags all night long. The, so when she came home, she just saw a look on my face and we were driving and she was talking. She was like, what's the issue about the whole bag punch? Yeah. I was like, all right, we'll go home and I'll show you. Mm -hmm. I raised my hand up, just my hand. I was like, punch my hand. Punch my hand. Yeah. So she punched. First of all, I can feel this clip from the, the, uh, the, little, the, knuckle. the yeah. little knuckle, first of all. So I was like, I will let you now punch me in the head. She looked at me. I mean, I looked at her hands and that. I was like, I'm going to let you punch me in my forehead. So I ducked my hand in. Yeah. She went and pow. Yeah. She was like, ow. I heard uh -huh. the crack. Yeah. So I was like, how long have you been punching? Yeah. She's been doing it for two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years. Yeah. And you should see the bruising that happened to me. And yeah. I was like, you going to punch a man in the face? Yeah. I didn't hit you back. I am trained. I didn't. I just sit there and duck my head and you punched. And now I know why you have so many concussions. That's, <laughs> I do favors. Practice on it. Yeah. <laughs> anyone hit me in the head voluntarily. Yeah, but. Uh, I'm like, there's a wall. Don't punch it. <laughs> yeah, but you just see the look on her face. I mean, I could have told the punch wall she would have because the wall. So she going to crack out. I was like, exactly. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. So, and, and I want to, uh, actually, I want to go to this and which I want to bring to this. It's important to me to talk about it on our podcast. Podcast. I want to bring, I want Nick's actually to express the state of Krav Maga itself. Krav Maga is still popular. It's yeah. popping up on the window, even with the rise of jiu-jitsu uh, again. Yeah. And I'm a jiu-jitsu practitioner. I've competed. Yeah. I'm a purple belt. Um, Nick knows that. He sees my coach that I train. I do both. Yeah. And one thing that make the Warriors Krav Maga unique, and I will say this night and day, we have an extensive ground 
program in yeah. the global, yeah. which a lot. But I want to leave this to you about your opinion on the state of Krav Maga, what, what you look at it, what it's been lacking, and we honestly speak the difference of what you feel, in the, uh, what it needs. Hey, the problem is anytime art meets money, art suffers. And we've seen this with every art. And, you know, originally when I started training, judo was the big thing. Then came uh, karate. Then came kung fu. Then was Billy Jack with Hapkido. All right. Then it's Bruce Lee with kung fu. Then comes Steven Seagal with Aikido. Then it's the ninja movies. And so every couple of years, right, we have a new flavor of the month and some new art pops up on the bandwagon. Everyone's jumping on it. And when that happens, right, you get ass clowns that are looking to make money. And they, there was a guy in England years ago who was famous. His dojo originally had judo up on the wall. And then karate came along and judo came down and they were all karate black belts. Then Bruce Lee came and they pulled karate sign down. This is serious. They had a kung fu sign up. And then the kung fu sign came down and the hapkido sign went up. And you could see where the old lettering used to be on the building. And every every two years when there's a new system, yeah. these guys would rip the sign down and all of a sudden there were black belts in this. Bruce Tegner did it, right? Black belts in every damn thing, every new art that popped up. So the problem is when you have something like Krav, immediately everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon and yes. that's going to affect quality control. With the art itself, some of the problems I see are in one organization, they have not made any differentiation between what you would teach the military and what you would teach civilians. Mm -hmm. If I'm teaching a bunch of Israelis who live in a country where they are constantly at war with terrorists, you know, jumping on buses and blowing up grenades and stabbing random people in public and opening fire in crowds and whatever, I'm training soldiers to deal with that. The soldier's mission is to kill. All right, so all my techniques and the same thing I taught in the Legion, right? I'm teaching sink your fingers into their eye sockets up to your knuckles till you can't go any further while you're biting their ears off and squeezing their windpipe. Uh, punch them in the throat, break their legs, you know, jump up and down on their back until it breaks. All of this stuff, right? Because that's soldiers and we're trying to fight without a weapon and we're fighting for our lives. Mm -hmm. Now I come and live in the most litigious country in the world. Yes. Their headlock defense in one crab organization, again, that shall remain nameless, is they stick their finger in the eye, pull the guy's head back, and they punch him in the windpipe. Again, for a soldier fighting a Palestinian terrorist on a bus, I think that's probably a good thing, right? You want to shut him down as quick as you can. Maybe he's got a, a, a vest on. Maybe he's got other friends who are out there whacking. You've got to shut this guy down, punch him in the throat. He's a terrorist. He's trying to kill people. Lethal force is justified. Yeah. Most fights in this country are going to be low-key crap in a bar because what do we need for a fight? You need rednecks, alcohol, and women, right? <laughs> gonna, that's, that's it. It's going to happen. So we are, we are, yeah, and, and, and time, right? Time. It's, it's going to be three hours, right, of them drinking, women in the bar and boom fight's going to break out. It's not going to be life and death. It's going to be some guy, you were looking at my girlfriend, push me, pull you, you spilt beer on me, it was my turn on the pool table, I don't like the song you put on the jukebox, right? And punches go. Yeah. Now the guy gets you in a headlock. That is hands down the most common hold in the world. I've seen that in 26 countries watching fights around the world. Hands down, headlock is number one. Yeah. And now you reach up, pull the guy back and punch his throat and kill him. Right? You've got to have a less than lethal option for that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these organizations have not made the transition between what they teach the military and what they're teaching civilians and I think that's key um, I also don't see a lot of them evolving and if you if you look at boxing pictures of Fig and Sutton back in the day early 1900s they're standing with all their weight on their back foot and we've all seen that meme on Facebook right bitch mittens yeah, yeah with the guy really, yeah. that's how boxers used to stand with the back of the knuckles facing the guy yeah, head up. right and their head yeah, up leaning up. back out Fuck, the way I can't do that, no. right now you look at how Tyson stands or a modern day boxer right and they're crouched forward yes. and all their techniques have changed they've evolved 
If we look at judo, it's evolved, right? Yes. Look at the throws now. I don't recognize the throws I see on judo anymore. Yeah. We used to have, you know, shoulder throw, hip throw, whatever. Now there's crazy stuff where they're doing these twisting underneath the guy's arms and flipping. They almost sort of forward roll over him as they throw him to the ground. Well, it's the same with jiu-jitsu. I do jiu-jitsu. It, now you got people going yes. between my legs and rolling around yeah, my legs. exactly. Legs. It's an evolution yes. because you got you can't keep fighting the same game over Absolutely. and over. So one of the problems I see with a lot of the crab organizations is they're not evolving. They're no. teaching the same stuff. Or they're starting to become watered down because they're, hand, they're doing what we said. They're handing it down to their student who hands it down to their student who hands it down to their student. They're not maintaining a standard. Um, other than that, I still think it's viable. I just, you know, I have an issue, obviously, with the main stuff where their knife defense is absolutely dire. It's the biggest bullshit I've ever seen. The simulta- and that's all of them. The simultaneous block and punch is dumb. Boxers, you, there's never been a boxer in the world is punching with both hands at the same time. You cannot generate any power doing that. Humans work around that spine, twisting on it. So we throw a left, then we throw a right, then we throw another left, then we throw another right. And that's how we generate power. This idea of throwing two punches at the same time and trying to generate sufficient power is just stupid. And the gun disarms scared. The gun disarms are horrible. They're, they're, uh, yeah. Omar attended a seminar when I was away with you. I was doing actually a seminar next to when I was doing the ground stuff. Yeah. And he called me and then about some gun uh, seminar he attended and I was like uh, that's not us that's not yeah. stuff we do it was just and he's a gun guy yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know he teaches this and I told him I was like nope well, here's, here's another illustration of what I'm talking about. You know, there are crab organizations here in this country and England that I have seen and in their books and on their seminars, they're doing grenade defenses. Huh? Grenade defenses. <laughs> so they, they rip, seriously, the, the guy is threatening with a grenade and the guy runs up behind. Where the fuck does that strip, happen? Yeah, in the Middle East. When a, no, <laughs> when a Palestinian terrorist here. is on a bus, right, yeah, threatening with a grenade. I'm just being me being here. I was like, but yeah, but here we are teaching that in America and I'm sitting there going through every YouTube clip and I can find and every police report I can find. When has there been a guy in a bar, right, running around with a grenade threatening people that we should be wasting time learning that? Because, and Ryan Hoover's mentioned this before, uh, and it's nice to see there's people out there who are on the same track. I have always focused on highest probability, right? Why would you start teaching your students how to get out of being strangled, right? Someone standing in front of you squeezing your neck. Okay, and you go to you go to a lot of these crab schools, and that's their first technique they teach. Yes, block and kick and fall. Yeah, yeah. They're being yeah. strangled, grab the hands, pull yeah. the hands away. Again, I've been in over two thousand brawls, fights, breaking them up, and been involved in them, working around the world, and I've never seen anyone strangle anyone. I've never seen it, I'm not one time. I can't think back to a single fight where I've watched a guy in a bar turn around, grab another guy by the neck, and start trying to squeeze my, his windpipe. Actually, what's funny, my jiu-jitsu coach, Dick Bohan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marine, veteran, yep. he's a police officer, black belt, yep. uh, world champion. Me and he did that self-defense jiu-jitsu class. Yeah. And he even said, i never seen anybody do this shit. No, like, nobody. Coming at you, zombie no. arms, yeah. grabbing neck. I mean, you see it in domestic violence. Yes. It's a rage that Sec- Sexual assault yeah. on yeah. pinning on the bed. Yeah. I teach it to my women classes. Yeah, on their back on a bed or something, but yes. again, not standing. Like walking at you with a zombie, arms yeah. out and that. And yeah. I laughed when he did it, and he looked at me, I was like, I don't teach that shit. I don't know yeah. what the fuck So a lot of people do that straight off out the bat. That's their first technique. And I'm like, you're wasting time. You know, yeah. you, you've got to be focusing on highest probability. And yeah. highest probability is not someone trying to strangle me, it's someone trying to punch me. Yeah. All right? So we need to be dealing with that right off the bat. So, you know, that's the issue I see. They, they sort of have their focus wrong. Um, some of their techniques are, leave a lot to be desired and should be modified and ap- yes. a- adapted to what's going on. And that's, that's the thing I think I'm proudest of our program is we are constantly evolving. If we have a technique, we find a better way of doing it. We just tell all the students, hey, the way we were doing it last week, 
You know, we're not doing it that oh, way. Oh, shit, this year we changed the way. curriculum three times? Yeah. <laughs> they got confidence. But it should. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I'm not, I mean, no, the no. military changes the way they do things. You can't imagine if we're still doing things the way we did it back in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Our soldiers would be in a line marching across a battlefield, right, in a line getting hit by cannon fire and wiped out. Well, What are they doing nowadays to fight wars? We don't do that anymore. Tactics have to change. Going back... Out, we start. We launched 2012 Warriors Craft. Yeah, it was around about then. Council. Think about now how we went from, for, you know, the stand up. Now we're like, man, what do you get? Punched and they grab you. Yeah. Or punched or take to the ground. We never did that in the beginning. Yeah. Remember? Now everybody wants to fucking punch you and just tackle your ass to the yes. floor yeah. because of the rise of MMA, which I was preaching yes. for a long time ago to these idiots. The rise well, of your. And you may have heard me say this at seminars. There's actually two sheriff's deputies in Florida who were doing their, I believe, master's degree in criminology or something and decided to do a study using police uh, use of force reports in Florida to see if there was any correlation with the uprise in MMA versus Uh how the police end up fighting. And there is a, they have been able to document the increase in the amount of guys shooting in trying to tackle them to the ground since MMA has come along. So if someone's going to fight a cop now, instead of sitting there trying to box him like they would have done when they watched Muhammad Ali as kids, mm-hmm. now these guys are trying to shoot in and take the guy to the floor, figuring they've got a better chance on the ground. And that also, I want to go back to that uh, uh, comment about our program, um, legend, uh, you know, legendary Kelly McCat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was honored to be a part of his um, instructor uh, thing he was doing. And do understand, as anything launches, they have a couple of people coming from different organizations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had me there when I was doing the whole thing about the ground stuff. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. And I'm not talking about Kelly. Yeah, Don't yeah. understand this. I'm talking about the people that showed up. Hey, I want to try this seat. Yeah. I talked about, first of all, well, what they, uh, what I see, and there was a lot of craft people mm-hmm. that popped up, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. And there was some awesome people. And Kelly, as just like you, he flunked half of even everybody. You know, yeah. it's just nobody, it doesn't mean you paid your passing. Yeah. And Kelly's just like us, and that's what I like about it. When we came to the part, and I was teaching the part about stopping the takedown. Yeah. The theory of a takedown to them was just obnoxious, first of all. So I had to show them what a takedown is because what they say, oh, here's a takedown. I was like, can you explain to your card first what is a takedown before you teach how to stop a takedown? I get uh, Mary from Northland suburb and I'm teaching her to stop a takedown. I don't think the woman understand what a takedown is. No. What what is a double leg? What is it? You know, somebody grabbing. So in that, the idea even of sprawling, they were showing them Mm -hmm. sprawling, full sprawl on the street. I was like, I don't do that. No, it's not. So I was really shocked and I'm like, God, I was, that was last year or so and I'm sitting and I even talked to Killer. I was like, this is really scary as the state of self-defense. I'm not talking martial arts, just self-defense itself. these people, these people came in, by the way, they're instructors. Yeah. This is not somebody come to walk. One of, one of my arguments for years has been you have to make a decision as to whether you're going to learn self-defense or do sport. Mm-hmm. And there's too many schools who are teaching sports-oriented martial arts who hang on their wall. Yes, it's also self-defense. And it's not. And the analogy I use to explain this is, number one, uh, and, and remind me to talk about the Gracie. Uh, he's very honest. I appreciate his honesty. I don't remember Hickson. his name. No, no, no. It wasn't Hickson. There was another one. I'll tell you the story okay. and you'll know who it is. But the techniques are different. Okay, straight away. Because to practice a sport, you have to make it safe for the people who are playing it. 
All right. So in boxing, they put big gloves on their hands. In MMA, they've got gloves and you can't stick your fingers in someone's eyes. You can't punch the back of the head. You can't kick the groin. You can't do small job, right? You're making it safe. You're making it safe. You can't drop an elbow into the top of someone's head, whatever. You make it, you're not allowed to bite, right? We're making it safe for the people so they can practice a sport a long time. And we do that in everything. It's hockey. They've got helmets on their head, whether it's bike riding. It doesn't matter. Judo, we're doing it on mats. The techniques are different. Yeah. Okay. The tactics are different. And in a tournament, and you know, I've seen these in boxing and karate and kickboxing and everything else. So some of my favorites in karate tournaments, the old non-contact karate, one of the two of the strategies or tactics that used to work was one I would feign an injury. So it's a non-contact tournament, and as I charge across, the guy tags me a little bit, right? But I pretend he's broken my rib. So I fall on the ground and I'm screaming and yelling like a soccer player, right? And they they disqualify him. Okay, for excessive contact, and I win the tournament based on the fact I got him DQ'd because he hit me with excessive force, and I'm not really hurt. And I go home with the trophy. Now, that is a tactic that works in those tournaments. Another one used to be the rounds are two minutes long. So I go across the room. The the, the judge goes, Hajime. I go screaming across the room, and I score a point. Okay, now all I have to do for the next minute and a half is stay out of his way. So I'm standing on that line. The judge goes, Hajime, and I back off across the safety line and the judge goes, stop, bring it back. And I back off again and I back off. I only got to do that for 90 more seconds and I'm the winner because I got to put I got to point up now. Take those two tactics that I've done in tournaments and go and try and apply them in a biker bar. Okay, the bike is going to hit me and I'm going to pretend he used excessive contact and I'm going to fall on the floor and start screaming and get him disqualified. That ain't going to work, right? Or he punches me, or I'm sorry, I punch him and now I spend the next five minutes running around the pool table with him chasing me until the cops roll up and I win because I scored a point, right? What tactics work in the street? Ganging up on someone, right? Or hitting them when they're not looking. Those have been used by street fighters for years, right? The old sucker technique, no man, we're good. You turn your back and next minute, bang, he attacks you from behind. Or he goes and gets five of his mates or he pulls a weapon. Okay, you can't do those tactics in sport. I can't turn up in an MMA match and fight George St. Pierre with 15 of my mates, right? Um, with base, I could, right? But everyone's going to be unhappy about it. I can't sneak up behind, you know, Tino, whatever his name is, and whack him over there with a golf club from behind and go, I'm, I'm a better MMA fighter than him. Because those tactics in the street and those tactics in the ring aren't compatible. They're different, yes. right? And finally is the mindset. And, and I used to get a lot of MMA guys, and I love MMA guys. I love anyone who will get in a ring or on a mat or wherever. I don't care if they're competing. If they've put in the hours and they're willing now to put it on the line, I love them. I just wish that feeling was reciprocated because they accuse a lot of the crab guys, combative guys, as like, we're all full of shit. We don't know what we're talking about because we've never been in a fight. You've, you've fought professionally, I, too. I've boxed yeah. professionally. Yes. I've competed in judo tournaments yes. and kickboxing, yeah. state championships in that Australia. That answers one of our questions, yeah. so we can skip the yeah. time no, somebody I've, asked. I've done all that. And here's, here's what I want them to understand. In, all, in the boxing matches, in the karate tournaments, in the kickboxing matches, right? I have never been terrified. I've never been afraid. Mm-hmm. I've been excited. 
right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to compete this Saturday. You got to come and watch. It's going to be awesome. This guy's going to turn up. He's really good. I think I've got to move. It's going to beat him. Come down and check it out. Oh, I'm going to be fighting Friday night in the boxing ring. Come down and check it out. Right? I'm excited. Now you're sick. I'm, no, 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 no. To think about it. No, that, no, that's and that's the difference. By the way, it's one of the things we yeah. teach. And I don't want to get sidetracked here. Yeah. But if you ask an Olympic athlete when they went down to Brazil and they were talking to the athletes, they're like, "How do you feel tomorrow that you're going to be representing your country, running the 200 yards?" Right? And the guy says, "I'm excited." Yeah. You ask a civilian, "How do you feel that you're going to have to fight this guy doing a home?" I'm terrified. It's it's exactly the same chemical reaction. It's the same chemical reaction, right? I have never been terrified or afraid getting into a, a ring or a judo match or a boxing ring or anything else, right, in competition. I have been terrified and my shit has been chilled in the street many times. We've thrown out guys, they've come back mob-handed. There's been 30 of them pulling out damn baseball bats, cricket bats out of the trunk of their car. We've had death threats. I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I've gone into fights. I have been terrified, right? That doesn't happen in a sporting ring. So don't sit there and tell me that you guys are God's gift to the planet when it comes to fighting and we know fuck all about what we're doing because here's the thing that gets me. When was MMA invented? Right? And how long have humans been fighting? But according to a lot of these guys, we know nothing about fighting until they came along. And I have a great picture, by the way. Oh, this was actually my favorite picture put yeah. up a couple of years ago on Facebook. Yeah. Love it. I'm in my karate uniform, yeah, listen, right, this one. sitting on one of my brown belt students, grounding and pounding him. Right? It the was different, ground and pound position. I was uh, mounted over the top, pinning him down one hand, punching him in the face with the other hand, and he's trying to block. And that was how we used to train in that karate school. We learned ground fighting, elbowing, punching, gear, head bump, all of it, weapons, everything. And that picture was taken in, I believe, 1977. So before UFC. I'm grounding and pounding. But according to these guys, they invented ground and pound. I'm like, "Mm, how come I'm doing it? And how come when we pick up the urns that were from Greece when Pancration was around, right? The guy's still standing over the top of that guy, holding him by his hair, punching him in his face, right? Grounding and pounding someone on a Grecian urn from 500 years BC, right? I think it's been around a while. A guest wrestle organization in England posted a picture. I'll show it to Omar. That found the picture from Egypt during the Egyptian Mm -hmm. tribe. Yeah. Wrestling. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. From the, yeah. what is it called? The, um, the pyramids. Yeah, the pyramid that, uh, all that. Hieroglyphics. Yeah, hieroglyphics. Yeah. Yeah. I showed Omar, I was like, Omar, yeah. look at this. I never knew. Yeah. They were wrestling. Yeah, of course. They, they broke it down to wrestling techniques. Yeah, of course. They were. There's woodblock prints from England with the knights training in the forecourt of the castles doing figure four arm locks against knife stabs over the head. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And that's wood, woodblock yeah. yeah, wood prints from the 15th century of the English knights practicing figure four arm locks. Fighting is. Right? From a, it's, we're humans. We've got two arms, we've got two legs, right? Yep. So we're all going to end up fighting the same way. Absolutely. The only thing that's going to change that is geography. So if you come from a country like Indonesia, where they have a wet season, you'll get an art developing like Penjak Salat, where a lot of it's on the ground crouching, right? And a lot of the Southern yeah, style Kung Fu is down because they're fighting on sampans or yeah. in the swamps. And they can't stand on one leg and kick when it's raining and it's muddy, yeah. all right? You go up to Northern China, where it's permafrost most of the year and it's hard ground, they all favor kicking because you can stand on that hard ground and kick. All right, so every, and the Japanese used to be big into, it was all grappling in Japan. People don't realize, they think karate was around in Japan in like, you know, 600 BC. No, karate came to Japan in like the 50s and the 60s because the Japanese, all their fighting arts were grappling because they wore armor. So they had sumo, they had judo, they had jujitsu. Well, judo the fuck was we are, a spin-off. We're just blowing ourselves up. 
Yeah, we have wrestling. Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and Omar's wrestling. just like, Omar got offended. Like, <laughs> we got wrestling. I was like, yeah. where the fuck would we come up with? <laughs> I'm just I, waiting actually, for the Mongolian and the Indian and the uh, Arabian wrestlers are all yeah. like legendary back in the day. Yep. The Mongolian wrestling is huge. Omar just jumped on me, but we got wrestling. Well, before I want to go, I want to plug in one thing. Be your own bodyguard book, which I call it the Bible of our system, actually. And just uh, in a few words, why would someone that doesn't train, forget about the people train, that does not train, will pick your book in particular when it comes to self-defense? Because if you read that book, you will reduce your risk of ever being a victim of violent crime by 80%. That's in a nutshell. And the way that works, and here a few words, me, ha ha ha. Well, I can tell. I can <laughs> teach under. Our audience already complained. We have a long yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, I can talk under wet concrete with marbles in my mouth. But um, very quickly, yes, I realized a long time ago that I was trying to break down how fights work and all this stuff because every self-defense school. This is where this is where the whole concept from the book came from. All of the martial arts I did started off with the attack. And Omar made that point earlier, right? The guy's coming at you with a knife. This is what you do. Oh, you're in a headlock. This is how you get out. Oh, you're in a bear hug now, right? But then I went to bodyguard training. I wanted to be a bodyguard. There are schools that teach that. So I went off to the bodyguard training schools. And the bodyguard school is less interested in the shooting and the high-speed driving and the crashing through roadblocks. The bodyguard school was all about not getting in trouble in the first place. They said our art is the art of avoidance and awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So you do a threat analysis. Who is, you know, am I looking after a businessman? The target risk is kidnapping. Am I looking after a political figure? It's kidnap. Uh, Sorry, it's assassination, right? And so I do this threat analysis, and then I look at study the bad guys and how they're doing. Are they doing roadblocks? Do they kidnap? Do they send letter bombs? Do they shoot from a distance? What are they doing? And then we create a plan around that so we don't ever get in trouble in the first place. And that's Sun Tzu said, right? That's the ultimate victory. Don't get in the damn fight. Avoid it. And I was thinking coming home from one of the schools, how come no one teaches this to the civilian population? Why does only people like the Secret Service learn this avoidance and awareness stuff? Why isn't anyone teaching this in self-defense? I'll tell you, it doesn't I, make I, money. Well, no, it, it can, and it has with the book. Well, but, I mean, and and with our organization. What I figured out was... All crime starts with selection of a victim. And it doesn't matter whether that's rape. It doesn't matter whether that's a carjacking or breaking into someone's house, right? It starts with selection of a victim. So bank robbers are going to look at five or six different banks and pick the one that's furthest from the police station or it's got, you know, the lights are broken outside or the hedges will hide, whatever it is, right? Um, or it's got the most money in it on a Friday after whatever. It starts yes. with selection. Rapists have a type. You know, you look at a serial rapist in a neighborhood, you'll be targeting women between a certain age with a certain colored hair or a certain ethnicity, all right, or whatever. Um, carjackers typically steal to order. They want Porsches, Ferraris, Lambos, or whatever, or they're getting away from a crime. Uh, the house that gets burgled, you know, it's got the big screen TV and lots of stuff inside it and poor security. It starts with selection. Okay, if you're in a bar, you get picked on by a guy. Someone's picked on you, right? Because you were looking at his girlfriend doesn't matter starts with selection so does it as a bodyguard so can i do anything about that yes i can i can teach you to lower your profile or harden the target then next minute they want to isolate you so in the case of the bank robbery they they call the cops and say there's a car accident over here so the cops go that way so there's no one around to answer the bank alarm all right the kidnapping's going to happen on a ice deserted road on the way to work in the morning they'll set up a diversion and send you down a dirt trail and kidnap you down there can I do anything about isolation? Yes. Then there's going to be verbal. The guy's going to come up, what the hell are you looking at? Even pickpockets use verbal. 
And so I wrote the book on the soft skills portion of self-defense, this S-I and V. There's a million books out there on how to fight once you're in the headlock. There's nothing out there about what to do to lower your profile, to avoid being selected, what to do when you're isolated, how to protect your vehicle. So that's what's in the book. Um, I want to tell our crowd also what's great about this book. You can get an app that you download. I, since I started seminaring and traveling a lot lately, um, that app is a must. And what I say, if you care for someone, this is a book. I'm dating right now and I have, like on our second date, I gave her this book. Even though she trains and I'm going to say, here you go. And that's what I'm saying. Anybody you care for, this is a good book. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's always great to have you, Nick. It's rocket as always. And again, if you guys want to get in touch with us, um, we're going to put this up. We're going to also put, uh, get in touch with uh, Nick uh, and put your email up. The information. <laughs> but this is not going to be the first or the last time we're going to have Nick here. So look forward. Actually, um, we're going to be bringing him back once his um, new books are coming out. So that's going to be. Uh, I agree, Faraz. I look forward to having Nick again in town and doing another podcast with him. And I definitely look forward to his upcoming books. I'm very excited uh, to read them. Be Your Own Bodyguard uh, that you mentioned is absolutely an amazing book. It's a must. Like if you're into self-defense or even you care about somebody, give them that book. On my first date with my current girlfriend, I literally, after the date, I opened my trunk and I gave her a copy of Nick Hughes's book, Be Your Own Bodyguard, and a copy of my book, which of course does not compare to the master's book. And I said, read these two. I care about you. I want to see you on a second date. And I know that you will have enough knowledge to make smart choices and be safe till I see you next time. But again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening and giving us the time of the day. I hope you enjoyed our interview with the great Nick Hughes. Uh, we're having an event on October 27th on Warrior Academy KC. So if you're in the Kansas City area, please stop by and support the event. Domestic violence is a big issue and October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we're having an event to raise awareness and train the women in the community to protect themselves and also raise awareness about such a big issue. The last statistic we have about domestic violence in Missouri, we have reports of 40,000 cases every single year of uh, reported domestic violence. About 1,500 women every single year get raped or attempted rape. One in seven women in Missouri report sexual abuse. That is huge numbers. The, the number is too high. I mean, even one is too high, but these numbers are terrifically high. It's scary. And in, in Missouri, about 34,000 people receive support and shelter from the women's shelters around. This is the entire state of Missouri. But 23,000 adults get refused service in these shelters because there's lack of space. It's a big issue. So we're having an event that's going to raise awareness. We're going to have a lot of talks and great speakers, but also we're going to have hands-on training led by none other than Firas Azab. So if you're in the Kansas City area, please stop by and support it. It's a free event. All we ask that you do a monetary donation of $20 or bring women and children clothing. All the donations are going to go to Rosebrook Women's Shelter in Kansas City area. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you to our sponsors. Nutri Authority, no bullshit high quality supplement. Warrior Culture Gear custom designed and hand printed apparel made by and for the modern warrior. Modern warrior. warrior Fuel, Kansas City's best pre made healthy meal delivery plan. Feed the warrior in you.